Well, I'd love to know, first of all, who is Serena? And have you changed? Do you feel that you've changed kind of a lot over the years? Do you feel like you've shifted the core of who you are? I'd love to hear a little bit about your your journey. Sure. Who is Serena Davidson? I think that the core of who I am has stayed the same through my life. Um, I'm not sure people who have known me 30 years ago would think so because I have changed a lot. Yeah. Going from being raised in a cult with the Jehovah's Witnesses and then, you know, now I am someone who lives a creative life with progressive values and mystic spirituality. And my work is all about helping people to tap into their own intuitive skills yeah. to help them build those skills so that they can take those intuitive understandings of <clears throat> themselves and what they <clears throat> what they really want and what they need and go into their life and make the dream life that they long for whether that's with their sexuality or other places but my focus is definitely on helping people build their intuitive sexuality confidence and where does that come from for you where what led you into that line of work so many things being raised as a jehovah's witness included a lot of the um, trauma and sexual abuse of childhood that is um, not the type of sexual abuse that we are used to thinking of mm. with an overexposure to sexuality and sexual interactions. But I was raised with the sexual abuse of, I guess the best way to say it is chastity. Yeah. So a lot of us were. We were raised with this um, shame yeah. and guilt. And it, it was such a, a high degree of shame and guilt that it crossed the line into abuse. And even natural masturbation and sexual exploration of a healthy human was completely forbidden. And that's when you get into places of realizing that it was abuse. When you see mm -hmm. that the natural flow of healthy development was um, cut off because of fear and control. So having grown up in that background and, and having such a fear of all things sexual that I, I didn't even masturbate until I was in my 20s. Yeah. And then I didn't even have sex until I was in my 20s. And um, coming from a place of such oppression of the feminine and constantly being told that the feminine is weak and that sexuality is bad there was so much to get over so much to heal and so much spiritual abuse from that background that I had to wend my way through resolving and um, facing my spiritual fears as well as my sexual fears so all of those 
experiences. Plus, when I was 20, before I even started masturbating, I had a, a spontaneous kundalini awakening. Oh, wow. A lot of people don't even know what that is. But in sacred sexuality, you learn that a kundalini awakening is, well, I'll just tell you like what my experience of it was. Yeah. I was fully clothed. I was with a good friend who I'd known for a few years and we appreciated each other deeply and cared about each other. And we started making out for the first time. And it was the second person I'd ever even kissed. And after we'd been making out for hours and our clothes are still on, we're continuing to make out and we were so in sync and so connected into that present moment, mm. which I've learned in sacred sexuality is a key component that, um, what happened inside me and in my experience was what it felt like was a lightning bolt generating from within my body and then shooting out the top of my crown chakra, out the top of my head. And I grabbed the back of the couch, which thankfully had something I could hold on to, and my head threw back and my back arched. And I, I, I would have just flung off the couch and hit my head if I hadn't been able to grab the back of the couch but it was just this huge electric buildup and release of charge out the top of my head and I'd never even had an orgasm before so I didn't know what in the world was going on and being yeah. raised as a witness being afraid of and told that all mystical things were satanic and demonic basically yeah. then I just I had no idea what happened and I had no one I could talk to about it because if I talked to someone about it then I'd be in trouble for making out with my friend wow. and I'd be in trouble for having that much pleasure yeah you know my clothes never came off and we didn't touch genitals so it just was an impossible kind of situation to grasp but I had this amazing afterglow for like days and didn't figure out that it was a kundalini awakening for over a decade later. And what were your what were your thought processes at that time? Obviously, you kind of had that duality of 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 the experience and how pleasurable or whatever it was for you, but also, you know, all of the shame and the fear and the the other stuff going on. So, what what were your kind of thoughts at that time? Can you remember? Well, uh, some of what I already told you, which was like, I just felt really great, but also didn't have anyone to talk to and felt confused about it. And the, um, a few days later, the friend that I was with called and asked if I had had an orgasm because they were talking to the, um, supervisors of the congregation, the elders, and they wanted to know whether I'd had an orgasm because if I'd had an orgasm, then we were both in trouble and needed to be reproved and reprimanded. My goodness. And the truth was, I didn't know. I'd never had an orgasm. I didn't know what had happened. And so since I knew that if I said yes, we'd get in trouble, I just decided that it was no. Yeah. Because that was the safe answer. And it was a huge high risk or high cost answer to say yes. Mm it meant getting all kinds of 
um, public shaming okay. and ruining of different relationships and privileges revoked from participation in the congregation and things like that. So I didn't, I don't remember like spending a lot of time thinking about that experience after a couple weeks had passed. I mean, I knew that I felt amazing. I sent that guy flowers the next day. <laughs> and it was just, you know, this amazing thing that had happened that I wanted more of, but I didn't know how to find. And even after I left the religion at 23 and then started having sex and started exploring what sexuality was for me, I still, you know, had all of these ridiculous ideas about sexuality and really one of the biggest problems was that I just was raised in this environment where we weren't taught to listen to our heart yeah. we weren't taught to listen to our body yeah we didn't have any instruction on connecting to our own innate inner wisdom because the tool for them to control us was to separate us from our innate wisdom yes our own inner guidance. I think that still is true. Yeah. 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 And so how did you slowly come back to that then? I don't even know if it's coming back to it, right? Because I was raised in that environment. So it was trained out of me from birth. And my parents and grandparents were all in that religion as well. So it was like three generations of people who, of family who had been cutting off their intuitive capacity. Yeah. So it was a long road and a lot went into coming back. But part of what happened is I just kept on using the ways of navigating and success that I had been taught growing up. And I treated my body like a machine instead of an animal that needed yeah. tenderness and care and compassion as much. I, treated it more like a robot and tried to get it to task and do things and not be so concerned about feelings, be way in my head and cerebral. So I guess part of the answer to your question is that I, I got into my body more, right? Like I, I started feeling my emotions pop up in my body in different places and noticing the correlation between my emotions and how my body felt. And eventually I had to get to the place where a lot of us have gotten lately in this time in history where we realized that there is no difference between how our body feels and our emotions. There's no yeah. big line. It's not, you know, just because we scientifically named them different labels doesn't mean that they work separately from each other. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's that's uh, exactly where I kind of feel that, you know, I wish that our leadership <laughs> was right now, our governments, in, um, in learning to not just explore that, but also integrate so that it's not just, you know, we don't have governments that kind of lead from here, that it's, yeah. it's, it's all, it's, it's everything and it's, it's very integral, it's very embodied, and it's very honest. You know, there's um I feel like there's a there's an honesty that comes from the body that it it can't 
it's beyond questioning. I don't know if that makes sense, but there's, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that, you know, what you're talking about is something that I've talked about with others who, um, I guess we've kind of identified that as a, a deep inner knowing. When, yeah. When you've got that sharp clarity of certainty about something and it comes through in your body in a way that is just so strong and potent, it feels so, it's as if it, it clears everything else away mm. to focus on one thing and be like, this this is to pay attention to. This yeah. is this is a piece of reliable information to navigate forward with. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So what happened next when you started to explore your body and your emotions and to feel into all of that? And you've let you made the choice at some at some point as well to to leave your religion, and obviously that that must have had massive repercussions in your family and your social life. So was there a period where you were kind of disconnected from from all of that, or what happened? When I left at twenty three, I told myself that if God is love, as I was taught that He is, then He was going to have to lovingly hold me during a year of stepping outside the religion so that I could look at it from outside and decide whether giving up all of these different things like basic equality with men and not being the head of my own household if I got married and all you know like focusing all of my energy on teaching the Bible instead of being able to feel comfortable and happy about having other hobbies, like being creative and artistic and mm. musical and all the things. I had to figure out if looking at that from the outside would tell me that it really was the truth and it was really worth giving up all of my freedoms and so many of my pleasures and joys yeah and then if the answer was no that it didn't look like something that was worth sacrificing all of that then that meant that I wouldn't be going back and I didn't within the first year I realized that it just looked absolutely insane and terrible and abusive and I just knew I was never going back and that meant that I lost my entire community of everyone I'd known from birth, except for just a few people who had left before me, yeah. including the majority of my extended family, who I was very close with, and um, really changed all of my family relationships to non-functional, you know, like not, not relationships that actually function as family, but just strained connections that are kind yes. of frayed tendrils out there that pop up once in once in a while yeah huge losses huge sacrifice just to be able to live a life of self-sovereignty right which not a lot of people really get to live a life of self-sovereignty because we have so many ideas about how important 
it is to prioritize tradition, community, yeah. and other connections. And that's great. Tradition, family, community, and being connected is absolutely important. But when you're in a position like mine where you can't keep those if you want to be true to yourself, then things change. Yeah, the idea of self-sovereignty, I feel, is really anathema to all of our structures and systems. Um, and I think it's quite often touted as individualism, and I don't believe that that's the case. I think individualism clearly has to come into it, but it's it's so much more about getting back to ourselves as animals, as nature, and really honouring that, which we really don't. Is that would you would you feel that? that is true for you. I'm not sure I quite grasped that. Would you say it again? Um, so I feel that in terms of our owning our self sovereignty, it is so fundamental to that to really own ourselves in our in our animal nature, in our in our wildness, in our you know femininity, obviously our feminine energies come into it so much because so much of that has been repressed and suppressed and denied. And um, yeah, I suppose what I was saying was it. It's I think often when we talk about or when it's when when it's talked about having that sovereignty it's about well you just want to be an individual you want to be you know you want to kind of set yourself apart from the crowd and you want and 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 at a cost to you know everybody else and I don't think that those things actually have to be that way yeah yeah I agree yeah I think self-sovereignty speaks to me less about being 100% independent and more about being in your own strength and power while being interdependently connected with others. I love that's, that, yeah. That's what resonates for me anyhow. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Gosh, wow, what an incredible childhood, you know, I I think so many women in particular have um, their own stories of, you know, abuse and, um, and repression as well. Um, but that, it feels like yours was really taken to the extremes and, and really kind of, you said, growing up in a cult. Um, where you're just surrounded by it and there's no escape. Yeah. And, you know, growing up in it with parents who grew up in it and grandparents who were in it and cousins who, aunts and uncles, everyone was in it together and really dedicated to it, fanatical about it. So it wasn't just me and my parents and siblings. It was 
this big, almost 50 person group of family that were also deeply entrenched. Yeah. Leadership roles and, you know, telling the line and being role models within that cult too. So there's just like layers and layers and layers and years and decades and decades of that kind of mentality. And how do you wake up from something that, you know, it's like, it's like the matrix taking the red pill or the blue pill, right? Absolutely. Like life before leaving and life after leaving is just like, you know, so many ex Jehovah's Witnesses really, really appreciated that movie because in the matrix, it just like was such a good reference point for yeah. us to talk about how strange yeah. it was to exit one reality and enter a, such a huge new reality. And do you, are you, have you kind of reached a point where you can now, um, are you able to kind of reconnect back to that community in any way? Or is that just something you, you know, is kind of boundaries kind of that you can't cross? As a community, absolutely not. There's no point in that that I see. I don't have any desire or inclination to connect back into a cult community. And the individuals, so like your family, extended family, friends. Yeah. No. There's there's just a few people who've left that we have some kind of connection. Mm. But um, it's definitely, I wouldn't call it connecting back to the community. Yeah. And And the people who I would connect to are the ones who are out. Yeah. Yeah. But it's been a really amazing thing to go from all of that loss and then 20 years later, because now I'm 44. Mm. And so it's been over 20 years since I left and, and lost all of that. And I've done intense deep healing work. I had a whole photography career where I got my work published in the New York Times. And then I had 10 years of disability. I hit this wall where all that treating my body like a machine yeah. finally ahead after a car accident. And then I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia and eventually Lyme disease, as well as a vitamin B deficiency genetically that I just can't absorb vitamin B from nature. So after finding out all those things, as well as reforming my world perspective to be one of treating my body like a beloved human self creature instead of a machine, um, all of those things, getting much more clear on how to intuit and tap into my body's knowledge of what it wants to eat, what it wants mm. to do, what what my body feels like it needs right now, what my spirit is saying, what my heart is saying, all the different components of me that were blocked from full understanding and expression because of the way I was raised. Just coming into a lot of new fullness of my whole self really i love that your sense of fullness that is just glorious and i really resonate with that because i've been through my own healing journey and 
you know, again, kind of coming out of, um, you know, yeah, all of my own stories and stuff around what it means to live in your head all the time. I was, you know, in my in my early years, I was I went I was an academic essentially, very much living from here on up, and um, you know. I lived with the idea that your brain can take you anywhere, essentially. Yeah. But at the cost of your body, I found, you know, and the cost of so many other things, relationships and just being able to connect to the world, to to the people around you. And um and yes, health, well-being, all of it, you know. So I think this work is really, really so crucial and I love the fact that you bring in the sexuality and I think you know you you've you call it intuitive sexuality which I've actually never I've never come across that expression and yet it really resonates but I'd love to hear more about that from you sure thank you that's a great question well I was noticing that a lot of people are asking all the wrong questions about sex. Like, <laughs> how do you do it? <laughs> yeah, like, how do you do it? I mean, it's yeah. the right question, but it's also the wrong question. Yeah. Like, people will be like, how do I have bigger orgasms? Yeah. And I'm just like, well, there's an answer to that. But first of all, let's talk about typically what we need to talk about first is just basic pleasure. Mm. You know, are you focusing overly on the orgasmic experience or are you taking your time and really enjoying the sensuality of sexuality? Yeah. Are you just trying to get to the orgasm? Are you just focused on getting the other person off or whether you've gotten off or is that climax taking your focus in a way that is completely stealing most of the juice and vivaciousness of being sensual and being sensual with another person. So a lot of those questions that people ask about sex online, like the top 10 Googled questions about sex or whatever. What about positions and things as well? Yeah. 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 It often ends up being things that are just like, oh man, you're so lost in the trees and you can't see the forest for the trees because people are just so caught up in maybe how do you do it instead of what does it require of me to feel my best in an experience? Mm. How do I feel my best in sexuality, in my own sexuality, in my sexual identity, in my sexual orientation? A lot of people are uh, questioning their sexual identity and sexual orientation and all of the things because in our current history history timeline there's a lot of new words and new concepts about the spectrum of sexuality the spectrum of sexual identity and gender identity and gender assignment well, I think previously yeah previously we've always been um kind of told that you're in one box or the other basically yeah completely binary just one or the other yeah and now that we're working in a reality of spectrums which acknowledges 
so much more of what actually is. Yeah. A lot of people are questioning how to navigate that for their own self-understanding. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. I, yeah, you know, it's it's such a different time when I think back to even, you know, when I got married, you know, back in 2007 and the there was just no concept of a spectrum of sexuality at all. And and yet, you know, we we were kind of we 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 would I think be just maybe beginning to talk about neurodiversity on a spectrum in that sense and I just I think I what I'm trying to say is I just I love the fact that I'm seeing this unfold in real time that we're beginning to understand that our humanness is not you know black and white it is not one thing or another it is just so <laughs> multidisciplinary it's so kind of there's so many possibilities and to be able to allow that is the permission piece as well is so crucial and what you said about um you know being in our kind of asking the right questions as it were of our own sexuality and and being in the moment with our partner for me it's very much about just being so aware it and and really present in that awareness in the moment as opposed to being very goal focused and constantly moving the goalposts so it's you're always looking for the next thing and the next thing and actually it's not about that it's about finding the pleasure right now in everything hmm. what motivates you each day to get every up day. And, sorry every day what motivates me every day what motivates you each day to to kind of get up and do your own work, but also to work with others in this respect? Hmm. What motivates me to do my own work, I think, is basically just that it's so much harder not to do my own work it's so much more painful not to and to struggle and hold on to it and clutch at pain and sit in pain but doing my work really involves facing the pain facing whatever comes up being able to move through it with the emotional metabolism that I've learned through a lot of the skills that I teach and be able to embrace what I'm feeling instead of shying away from it mm. and trying to avoid or distract myself from the challenging feelings. It's not really, well, it is a little bit work of work sometimes still when you come from a difficult background 
to embrace the joys and the bliss and to allow yeah. my having this and my my level of capacity for joy to to rise that's also some of the work and and doing a lot of um intentional contained ceremonial grief work has been a big piece of that really facing that and I'm motivated to do that hard work because I love the the gains in my emotional capacity not only to be able to delve into the grief work and get into the darkness and the nitty-gritty and understand myself better but to come back up which we all naturally do when we go down we eventually get to the place where we naturally just buoy back up into the other end of the spectrum of emotions where we can reach into the ecstasy so I wouldn't say that ecstasy itself is exactly my motivation but um being able to attain ecstasy being able to have that emotional range to yes be able to grasp the ecstatic and experience the the blissfulness that life has to offer anyone who's willing to do the emotional work to achieve it. That motivates me. And then what motivates me about working with my clients is I have so many, almost every single one of my sessions with a client, I get to see them have a genuine breakthrough. Mm. And that is phenomenal to feel on this side of the equation as well to know that I have helped and benefited someone to break through to a new understanding or a new felt experience of embodied self-love. Yeah. When we talk about self-love these days, we have talked about it so much that it, it often loses its meaning. I agree. Yeah. And we talk about embodiment so many times that people don't really grasp what it means. When I'm talking about embodying self-love, I'm talking about like you can feel loving yourself as kind of a magical, sometimes mystical, but always emotionally felt and often physically felt sensation of positivity. Mm. Sometimes it feels like sparkles. Sometimes it feels like warmth and nurturance and other times it feels so many different ways. But the important thing is to be able to identify what is self-love for me. What does it feel like in my physical self to be loving myself? It's not just about masturbation. I teach about sex and I help people work on their sexuality in different ways, but all of it's combined because sexuality is really just a microcosm of the macrocosm of ourselves. It's yeah. just one key piece that reflects a lot of the other things that are going on in our life in different ways. Mm. And so could you, is there, okay, so is there something that you come back to again and again in respect to that um, teaching or helping someone come to terms with their own self-love? Is there something I teach over and over again? Yeah. Um, One thing that I definitely would share is that looking at yourself in the mirror, Mm. in your own eyes, doing some eye gazing, doing some mirror work, different terms that people use to talk about it, but looking at your own eyes in the mirror 
while allowing all of the emotions that come up during that experience to come up without hiding from them. Yeah. To come up and feel a deep self-compassion for the person in the mirror. Yeah. Offering yourself that love that you would to someone else, holding your wounds and your hurts gently with softness and nurturance and genuine compassion for you and looking in the mirror and giving that to yourself in real time and do that every day for at least 90 days if you're really looking to make transfer transformation it would be huge but even if you try it for a week or a month just trying it is one step in the right direction and trying it again and again and put it on your calendar you know mm -hmm. do it every day or every night at a time when you feel like it's a little easier at that time of day to be self-compassionate i'm not a morning person so for me it wouldn't be first thing in the morning yeah like, i really i really have to say i avoid mirrors first thing in the morning <laughs> yeah Things tend to be real, really so much more useful for me in the later part of the day. Yeah. As a natural part of my own rhythm. I so feel I do like, those more challenging things during those times of day. I feel like we wake up to ourselves during the day as well. I mean, perhaps I'm not a morning person either. So maybe that's why. But, um, you know, maybe morning people feel differently. But I do feel like I, I wake up to myself and who I am and everything. I love and accept about myself um, as I, as I, you know, I do my morning practice and as, and as I kind of comment myself, it's like a, it's like a rebirth each day, I think. But first thing is, is intensely vulnerable for me. I'm, I'm very sensitive and, um, and so very prone to being hypercritical of myself, I think at that time. So yeah, I think that's that's a really Im important point to be self-aware of for anybody who chooses that practice, which I think is something I've really avoided. I've heard of doing mirror work and um, for my own part, you know, I'm, I went through a massive physical trauma um, through my healing process, which affected how I look and as a as a consequence of that um I still really struggle with accepting that fully and so but I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a promise to myself to try this because I can see how powerful it would be even just even just a bit <laughs> yeah absolutely it's money in the bank emotionally you really you know don't don't leave the mirror when you're feeling down on yourself. Stay mm -hmm. with yourself until you feel cared for. You know, because a lot of people, they find it so difficult to look in the mirror at their eyes and to feel all the emotions that come up about themselves and who they should be or what they wanted to be or what they're not in some way. Yeah. Or how they're, they feel like maybe this part of them is too much or not enough, right? But if you stick with the mirror, you know, stick with yourself, 
until the place where you feel comforted and held. That makes that's a huge really, difference. That's really beautiful advice. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, that's thank you for sharing that. It's, I think it's so it's so needed. Um, again, for women in particular, I can't really speak, obviously, for for any other sex, but um, I feel like as women, you know, there's so much that tells us on a constant basis that we're not good enough, that we're not beautiful enough, and that we need to correct that in some way. Yeah. That we're supposed to be pleasant and smiling. And if we're not, often there's a man there somewhere in public ready to tell us to smile. Which I'm glad that a lot of people are becoming more aware of the fact that telling a woman to smile is just unacceptable. You know, mm. women are not here to be in service to your emotional self and we're not here to do emotional labor for everyone in the world we do a lot of it for everyone in the world typically but you know i'm glad that there's more awareness coming around that particular social yeah. activity of telling women to smile <laughs> just like um excuse me i'm having a moment of my own reality i don't need to smile just for you to feel pleasant right now you know and you know people don't go around saying that to men no my god can you imagine <laughs> oh yeah yeah no I, I agree I'm really I'm so glad that things are beginning to change and for there to be so much greater awareness around how women are treated generally and the expectations that are put upon women that are both overt and covert so much covertness though you know that it's just been ingrained so much that women take it on and women will criticize other women for not adhering to those standards yeah That's what i find so insidious and it makes its way into our sex lives very very strongly like if you can't or don't want to, or feel badly about having sex with the light on, either, you know, or you need to have sex with your eyes closed, or you need them to have their eyes closed, or not to look at you. Yeah. All those are symptoms of being so self-conscious that we feel like we need to perform sexually instead of yes. enjoy our own pleasure and our own desires being met. It is something where you feel so self-conscious that you're not able to actually be in the present moment in the experience of enjoying your pleasure. And instead, yeah. women are worried about like how fat their thighs are or whether they trimmed their pubic hair the way that is yeah. most attractive or whether that sound they made that was primal was an ugly sound or if it was okay and sexy and having all those concerns and self-conscious considerations going on just takes you out of the moment. And being in the moment is where we get to be in a spiritual experience of our sexuality. 
Yeah. I'd love you to speak to that a little bit. What do you mean by that? What do I mean by spiritual experience of our sexuality? Well, there's a sort of, I think most people can relate to having had an experience of sexuality that might have felt very um, automatic or mechanical. Yeah. Not a lot of feeling in it. And when you have a spiritual experience in sexuality, um, it is not a lack of feeling whatsoever, right? It's like this overwhelming, beautiful feeling of ecstasy or bliss or orgasmic mm. release, catharsis, energetic movement in a beautiful way. Yeah, you know, when I talk about spirituality, having come from such a stringent religion that was, in my experience, very void of actual spiritual experiences, Yeah, uh, I tend to think of spirituality as not just something that is about the, the realm of things we talk about that are mystical mm. like spirits outside of us or something yeah but when I think of sexual experiences being spiritual it's almost like it's an intensely emotional and physical experience that feels so beautiful and healing and enjoyable that it is at a whole different level that gets yeah. into a realm that feels like something that one would call spiritual yeah. because it, it is above the mundane experiences of day to day. It's like a high sex experience. Some people yeah. talk about it, but you don't even have to have a high sex experience or a Kundalini awakening, which is really rare to have a spiritual experience of sex or to have a, um, an experience of sex that feels more open-hearted and more like your chakras and are, are in alignment and open and all systems are functioning and flowing and it's just this vivaciousness and vibrancy of life flowing yeah. through you that you're part of in a conduit to life's energy and force and it's not about am I just going to have an orgasm yeah. or is this other person going to get off and how are we going to do that? And what position are we going to do it in? Yeah. It's about how do I feel in this present moment? Is my heart connected to myself? Is my heart connected to the other person's heart? Mm. Is their heart open? Are we having a genuine connection yes. and flow as opposed to just um, using each other's bodies, I guess? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that connection is so vital, that feeling of um, interconnection, but also a connection. There's an energetic connection. I think that's what I would feel of as as, as being spiritual, is something very energetic and kind of tangible, but also tangible and visceral, but also expansive. And not all of those have to come into play, like you say, but 
at least part of that has to be there, I feel, for it to be an enjoyable, pleasurable experience. Hmm. Do you, I'm curious, um, do you work with people who, for example, have used porn and then um, struggle with kind of real life relationships as a result of that? And if so, how do you, how do you approach that with them? Well, I don't know if the people that I've worked with have specifically, okay. um, I, I have talked with and worked with some people who have dealt with um, that type of situation and have been so entrenched in porn that it was hard to connect with others in mm. real life or to get away from that tool and move into something that served them better. But what really comes to mind for me about this topic is the heart space. If you're nurturing an open heart, if you're really uh, focused on the feelings, uh, the emotions, the energetic connection like you were talking about, then if you're looking to get away from porn and go towards other people more often, then looking at how you connect with people from a heart space would be a good initial place to start concentrating and and to notice the quality of how you feel when you are pleasuring yourself or climaxing through the use of porn versus how you feel when you pleasure yourself without it or yeah. how you feel when you know it it could be a really great thing to start with um using a different type of tool yourself pleasure so if you want to get away from porn maybe taking a step towards reading erotica okay so yeah something that's less um the way that porn is online these days it it just has this um neurotic kind of quality about it right like yeah there's this just like social media yeah there's an ability to get a hit from just going and getting that really quick instead of you know it's like going to fast food instead of making your own home meal mm. so if you start just reframing your ideas about what you want from your sexuality and reprioritizing the type of quality that you want in your life do you want yeah. fast food sex do you want to you know chicken mcnuggets <laughs> Or do you want that amazing Christmas dinner that you made for your closest, dearest people? You know, which type of experience do you want? Is it a yeah. fast food or a five course meal? And how do you want your sexuality to reflect that value in your life? And it's really about how much pleasure can you stand? Can you? Um make more space for pleasure in all areas of your life and allow yourself to tune into your sensuality that way because someone who is 
baking bread from scratch is way more sensuously involved in their food and in their relationship to their food and their consumption and their preparation and the whole process than someone who just grabbed a bag, a loaf and a bag at the grocery store. I love that analogy. Food is love, as they say, don't they? And um, it's, it's such a sensual experience in itself. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I love that. I, I'd also love to know how you come back to your pleasure, but also your self-love and really the core of who you are, who you feel that you've become and maybe the person that you are kind of becoming. How do you come back to her each day or, you know, however often? Well, I guess that was actually, you know, I paused for a second, took a breath, and that's part of it. Just like slowing down, slow the F down, right? Like that's the same message in, in my messages about porn versus, you know, fast food versus the long preparation yeah. meal that you get to really enjoy it's all about slowing down enjoying the journey being in the process in a way that is pleasurable and sensually connected to your senses mm. so anything that really gets me into my body gets me into my sense of sight smell touch taste when I really take a moment to concentrate on the senses that helps um I also just Just really noticing the breath, taking a big breath, checking in, just pausing to ask myself what I need right now. That's huge. You know, when I first started that practice of pausing to check in with myself and ask what I needed and what, you know, listening in to see if there were parts of myself that were speaking up and wanting something that I hadn't been paying attention to because I was so cerebral and so focused and my I used to call it my my brain is in the camera because when I was a photographer or my brain is like in my computer I haven't yeah. even like put it back in my body all day because I was just sitting at the computer working so when I pause and check in with my body and my heart I get new information and it typically you know in the beginning it was typically like oh I just need to breathe more and I also need to get a glass of water or feed myself often in the beginning it was really basic things like that and you know those are what our body functions on in the most rudimentary way so it makes sense that the body would be wanting those things if I was so focused in my work that I've been collecting everything except the computer all day yeah I so love how simple you know I I think I've given a very similar answer, honestly, to, to in interviews to other people because it it really is, and especially after years of of practice as well. You know, when I probably fifteen years ago, I would have really struggled, or it would have taken me a long time to to kind of find my center, to to kind of come back to it. But now after so much practice, it really just, it can be so simple as just usually closing my eyes, coming back to that breath, 
filling my body with it and just really noticing all of the messages that my body's giving me right now as well as the external environment but primarily that kind of you know energetic bubble around me what 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 does this need right now as well as all of this and um it it really can be as simple as you say as just as just checking in with the breath having some water <laughs> and noticing what what shifts and for me as well movement is really key because that gets all of our energies moving as well yeah, i've got some construction noise going on outside the building but um ecstatic dance has been yeah. so good in part because you're dancing from the inside out. You're not doing dance moves and trying to look cool. You're just feeling what your body wants from internally and allowing it to just move in whatever way feels just right in that moment, whether it's to stretch or to turn and twist or you know, just tuning into all those things and getting aware getting yeah. sense of what your body's doing and how it feels and what it wants. It's just a beautiful introduction to paying attention to things that can help you feel beyond your cerebral head. Space. Yes, yes. And, and also I would say that from, you know, for me when I started, but also um, you know, I've seen in, in others through, you know, people I've worked with as well is that they can really struggle to access that at the beginning because there's so much in their head and their judgment. And, you know, is it wrong to move in this way? Am I being too sexual or am I being too expansive? Am I being too me? <laughs> you know, there's so much that we judge ourselves on in terms of the space we take up and how we move. And um but I think that the more that we practice obviously, the more that we can kind of let that go bit by bit. Um yeah, that's that's such a gorgeous, gorgeous practice, absolutely. Mm. Uh, that's a really poignant piece that you said. Am I being too mean? I think it's the words. And, you know, I think that that is really at the heart of what so many people coming out of traumatic childhoods have to ask ourselves all the time because we were taught not to be ourselves. We were yeah. taught that it was way more important and more valuable to conform to what the group or the family group wanted from us yeah do you feel like you've healed or do you feel like you're still healing i i guess i just have to say yes to both of those i've healed a lot of things a ton of things and also i'm human i'm pretty yeah. sure we all get to keep on healing as long as we're alive yeah yeah i relate to that too yeah i feel like there's so much we could really dive into here honestly um we really just scratched the surface but i 
I suppose what I'd really love to come back to is, you know, if there's if there's one thing that you could impart or teach the world to come back to in, in terms of humanity and you know where we are but also where we're going how what what would that be what would that one thing that you you would dearly love to impart or teach all of humanity <laughs> if you could the thing that's coming up really clearly right now is our sexuality is part of our whole health. It's not something separate from us. We treat it that way so much. We treat like, here's our whole body and then put an X on the boobs and the crotch. Yeah. Because it's a whole different thing just like mark that out as separate and talk about everything in life except sex put a big void mark or you know censorship mark over that and if you do pull it out treat it like it's this fetishized object that's foreign from you and and not part of your whole self so one of the things that i help people to learn about their sexuality coming out of the shame culture that we all grew up with is that when we start to begin to physically show ourselves and mentally reframe to be able to encompass our sex and our sexuality and our sexual parts of our body as our holistic health, as our whole self, and to treat those things as part of the whole, not this separate piece. Yeah. Um, then we begin to integrate our sexuality as part of our wholeness and part of ourself in a way that allows us to be more at peace with ourselves and more connected to our sexuality in a holistic, healthy way that incorporates all kinds of fun and kinky things too. You don't have to be exactly wholesome, but, <laughs> yeah. but we do want to be our whole, full selves and embrace the light as well as the shadow, the bliss as well as the grief, the ecstatic sensuality as well as the pain and crying and suffering and have that full range of our lives because we only get this one life. And when we neglect to be fully alive, we're missing out. Yeah. And I didn't lose my entire family and culture and community and life path and faith to live a half life. I'm here to live my life as fully as possible and to make the most of being able to find the joy in life that I get to have as my birthright, as well as serve others in helping them to unlock the blocks to finding theirs. Well, I think that's just incredible work, both for yourself and for everybody work, everybody you connect with. Um, it's, so it's such I, a freaking blast. I love it. <laughs> it's amazing. 
So where can we find you, Serena? Where can everybody? My, yeah. My website is freerangesex.org. It's freerangesex.org, as in orgasm. <laughs> I did wonder about that. <laughs> and then I've got a Facebook group, an Instagram, and a YouTube, all with free range sex or the free range sex movement. The Facebook group is the free range sex movement. Awesome. And you're you're a Serena Davidson, you said. Yep. Serena yeah, like just... the tennis player and Davidson like the motorcycle. Okay, cool. Cool. Oh, Serena, thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing everything and for going so deep and vulnerable on your own journey as well. Um, I really, I really appreciate that. And I know that everybody who listens will as well, because they'll be able to relate on some level. We're all human. We all have our stories. We'll have our deep shame stories in particular. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Zoe.